Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. My name is Adam Munster Tiger. I'm joined by BuffStampede.com fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, I think it's been since our season preview that we've actually had you on the show. How's life been treating you? Life's been good, man. Just been real busy. Um, you know, just I've been I've been able to go to all the games, watch all the games, so that's been really good. Um, it does seem like it's been months, maybe even years, since I've been on the show. So it's nice to be back. It'll be good to talk some CU football. On the other hand, though, you get into the season that we've spent so much time talking about, and a blink of an eye, you're halfway through the season. It's yeah. hard to believe that six games have already gone by, and, and we're kind of now entering on the other half of the season. Um, and we're going to basically, on this show, break down everything from big picture standpoint uh, to different uh, positions, and we're going to grade each position. We're going to talk a little bit about the Pac-12 in general. And then kind of give our predictions and our thoughts as Colorado gets set for the second half of the season. And jumping into it right now, I wanted to talk about surprises from the first half of the season, looking at it both positively and negatively. Were there any big picture positives that you took away from that first half of the season, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, I think we were all expecting an improvement in offensive efficiency, but just the level that it's gone up in the first six games of the year is pretty impressive to me. I mean, I know going, you know, we were looking at summer practices and going into fall camp and stuff. We were, we were all sitting there watching Cepho and wondering, you know, is he really ready to take the next step? I mean, he definitely struggled for a while there in practice and he still has his flaws. I mean, he's definitely made some mistakes, missed a lot of open guys, but that almost makes what he's done even more, even more impressive. I know, I mean, on the radio yesterday, I heard they've put up 400 yards in five straight games. They haven't done that since the mid nineties. 96. Yeah. 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 That's what I had. Um, and, you know, right now they're 18th in the country with 320 yards passing per game. So, and that's obviously a drastic improvement over what we've seen in the past. Um, you, you look at last year's production in the Pac-12, they, you know, they, were only, they only put up 20.3 points per game. Um, you know, we have a small sample size right now, only three opponents so far. But this year through three games, we're already up over 37 points per game. Um, we're giving up roughly the same amount of points per game as we did last year. But still, that you're going from a 24 um point margin on average in every Pac-12 game to this year a little over seven so it's pretty dramatic improvement offensively. For me the the biggest positive from a big picture standpoint has been the the fight that this football team has shown and it's crazy to think you you look at the Arizona State game they're trailing 17 nothing in the first half at Cal Cepho Lufau throws an interception Cal takes a seven point lead late in the game Uh, against Oregon State you fall behind 14 nothing now you end up losing all of those football games but the fight and the answer to each of those situations was different with this football team than what we've seen with any football team really, I don't know, back to the maybe the Gary Barnett era. I guess there might have been some situations with, with Dan Hawkins' teams and that Oklahoma comeback and whatnot where they did show some fight. But we haven't really seen that consistently out of a Colorado football team as much as we've seen it out of this Colorado football team, you really take out the CSU game where it kind of went the other direction. They didn't fight back. They didn't handle adversity well. Every other game this season, they've done that at some point. Yeah, from a fan perspective, that's right on. Obviously, you can't really quantify that. Um, but for me, I mean, I've caught myself several times throughout the game being like, up oh, here we go. Here comes a run yeah. from the other team. And you think it's over, and then, you know, we come down the field and score. I mean, they've, they've definitely found ways to battle back in adverse situations. We just haven't really found a way to get over the top at the end there. I feel like that's that's the first step, though, in the rebuilding process is to have that type of fight within your locker room, within within your team. And so we'll see if when that, that's going to actually uh, uh, result in some more victories. From a, a negative perspective, I think it's got to be just the Colorado State game in general, and especially getting manhandled in the trenches by basically a brand new Colorado State offensive line. And we had talked going into the season, none of us predicted Colorado to go to a bowl game this year, but we said if they're going to go to a bowl game, they have to win that game against Colorado State. So to come out, lay an egg in your first game, a game that actually you should have put away early in the game uh, against inferior talent on the other side, and to basically put yourself in a position where realistically you're not going to be able to battle for a bowl game from day one. That was just a, such a rough start to the season. Yeah, I mean, I think some people were still holding out hope after that game that maybe we'd find a way to bounce back. But where we're sitting now, you can see how, how important that game could yeah. have been. You know, if you get that win, maybe you find a way to win it at, at Cal or at Oregon State because you've been there before and you know how to close. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that was, it's hard to say turning point because it was the first game, but that kind of set the tone for what the expectations really should have been for this season. Um, for me, 
negatively, um, I, I talked about the lack of adjustments um, after halftime. Um, in the third quarter this year, we've had, we have 31 points and our opponents have 61. Uh, that's a pretty serious uh, margin. Uh, we've only scored first in the third quarter one game, and that was CSU, and obviously the rest of that game didn't go very well for us. Uh, actually, in the first five minutes of the third quarter, uh, opponents are outscoring us 27-3. to Wow. So that's a pretty decided advantage coming out into the start second half, and that's how you lose momentum in games. And actually, I found it interesting. So that uh, plus-minus margin is minus 24 in the first five minutes of the third quarter, which equals our plus-minus margin for the entire season overall. Okay. So outside of those first five minutes um, of the third quarter, we're actually playing even football through six games. I found that kind of interesting. That is interesting. Uh, we had seen in the past that uh, they really struggle with momentum going into locker room. We've right. seen some improvements, especially mm-hmm. against Oregon State. Yeah. Uh, I think everybody was kind of expecting, like you said, you kind of revert to, oh, here we go again. And then they did show fight in that situation. So it does seem like early in the third quarter now has got to be kind of the, the period in which this team needs to show improvement in the second half of the season. Talking about most surprising, positive and negative, let's talk from an offensive standpoint. You talked a little bit about that already in terms of the offensive improvement, moving the football. For me, positive, most surprising, it's got to be Nelson Spruce. I mean, we we knew watching camp that he was pretty darn good. Part of me in the back of my head was going, well, the fact that Nelson Spruce is toying with these DBs, does that mean that these DBs mm-hmm. are not that good? It turns out it was really just yeah. Nelson Spruce being darn good. Ten more catches than any player at the FBS level. Two more touchdown catches than anybody at the FBS level. Mm-hmm. And he ranks third nationally and first in the Pac-12 with 732 receiving yards. Fantastic start to the season. I know Oregon State was not going to let Nelson Spruce beat them deep. He actually did kind of get behind a defender once. Uh, uh, a ball that could have maybe been ca- caught in the end zone. Might even have been pass interference in that Oregon State game. Uh, what else can you say about Nelson Spruce? Yeah, I mean... I know we talked about in camp that if we had redone the rankings, I would have had him first kind of as we close into camp just because to me he just looked so impressive. And I know people have wanted for years at this point to have somebody surpass him in the passing game. And I, I would think that hopefully at this point people have kind of given up hope that that's going to happen. I mean, he's just a stud. No matter, It seems like no matter what's going on in the rest of the field, he finds a way to get open. I mean, Cephal can rely on him all the time. And, you know, as great of an answer that is, I actually – I just went more of the passing game in general because I expected Nelson to have a big year. Uh-huh. I mean, you talk about Cepho's 19 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. He's actually get 1,887 uh, passing yards, which is fifth in the country. I haven't seen anybody talk about that yet, that he's re- that he's actually ranked that high in passing yards. So that was kind of an interesting stat for me. Um, overall, i got five receivers with 15-plus catches and four with 200-plus yards. Um, and obviously Nelson's stats thrown in there as well. So there's balance as well as yeah. Nelson obviously being a complete stud. And all of these guys are back except for Tyler McCulloch. So, I mean, it, you look into the future, they're pretty set at the wide receiver position right now. And I think uh, McIntyre's even said this a little bit. The role that Tyler McCulloch is playing this year is, is yeah. something that they envisioned t- uh, Dylan Keeney, a guy that came in as a true freshman, as a tight end, uh, undersized tight end, that they, they thought was going to have a role, but then he had that knee sprain. Uh, is going to have to redshirt now, but he could kind of fill in that role. I think that, that uh, Tyler McCulloch has had early yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, year. I think if you can find somebody to fill, I mean, he's been pretty productive this year as a fourth receiver. There's he really no has. Guy, yeah, I mean, he, if you can get that out of your fourth receiver every year, I think you'd be happy. That touchdown he had against Oregon State in the fourth quarter, he fought for that mm-hmm. extra five yards. That was one of the more impressive plays yeah. that I've seen uh, out of a player on the team this year. Um, in terms of offense and in, in surprises on a negative side. I think you got to go with their struggles down by the goal line. The Buffs have scored seven touchdowns on 23 goal-to-go plays. That's just 30.4% in goal-to-go situations. That's simply not getting it done. And then you look at opponents, they've scored 10 touchdowns on 20 goal-to-go plays. That's a 50% clip, much better. Um, so you're basically 20% there on the negative side of things. And then CU's also failed to convert on third and one and fourth and one on seven different occasions through six games. That's not good. Yeah, that's actually pretty much exactly what I said. Just a lack of consistency from the running game in general. Um, we haven't had one guy give us consistent production through, you know, multiple game package. You know, obviously Christian being out last week had a lot to do with that. And really Michael Atkins, who we all thought was surefire going to be the lead back for us this year, really hasn't put it together at all until that Oregon State game. He started to come back to life a little bit there. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the overall yards per carry at 4.2 and you think, oh, you know, it's not terrible, but the if you're watching the games, it tells a different story. We're not getting the ball, you know, across the line of scrimmage on 
short down situations and across the goal line, and that's when it's the most important. And that's exactly what Clayton Adams, the running backs coach, said. He says, we've been bad when it matters most, and that's just unacceptable. Now, you did see as the Oregon State game wore on, I think early on the game, they failed on two really short yard situations, mm-hmm. but they finally were able to kind of break through later in that game in those third and one situations. So that may be something you can kind of carry as, as a momentum going into the second half of the season. It seemed like the finally the old line was able to get a push in some of those situations. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been a lot of uh, feedback on the play calling on those short yardage situations, but to me, it really shouldn't matter that much. On third and one, you should be able to find a way to get that yard. And, you know, that's that's how good teams win. I mean, you, they might not be the most creative play calls, and I'm sure they could be better in specific situations, but to me, you have to find a way to get that yard. Moving to the defensive side of the ball, talking about most surprising things that happened in the first half of the season, both positive and negative. Positive for me was the, the performance of the secondary as a group. Uh, Jared Bell gets hurt. And I was kind of wondering, okay, now you've got two true sophomores starting at safety. When you're in the nickel package, which is most of the time, you've got three underclassmen. Yeah, as good as Greg Henderson is, that's a group that I don't know quite how good they're going to be this year. And you look at it, they rank fifth in the conference in pass defense right now. They rank ninth a year ago. So even without Jared Bell out there, this is a group that's shown quite a bit of improvement. Yeah, I mean, I think especially given the lack of pass rush we've seen uh, throughout the season so far from uh, you know from a lot of those guys, it's been really impressive. I mean, Tedrick especially, he could probably be the most improved player on the entire roster from last season. I mean, he's fantastic. Um, a couple weeks ago, and then obviously he got hurt in the Cal game, and that led us to, you know, give up some points. They probably they win that game in Berkeley. Yeah, I would, I would, hurt. I would think so for sure. I mean, and you saw, you saw last. I mean, John, uh, John Walker too has been drastically improved throughout the year. I think I was kind of surprised to see him not really get a lot of playing time against Oregon State. I think they wanted to go with bigger guys against the tight ends, but he didn't get a whole lot of a whole lot of minutes in that game, which was surprising to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I specifically focus on Tedrick Thompson and Kenneth Crawley. I mean, I know in, in uh, practice we all saw Kenneth kind of getting better, but he's really stepped up. He's had a couple plays taken away from him uh, yeah. by some ple- by some questionable calls, I think, in the last few games. Some bad here. calls. Yeah. I think you can say that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think so too. But, um, you know, like he, he's getting there. I mean, he's making plays on the ball more now. He's definitely a lot more physical in the run game. He's been extremely impressive, and he can. he's only going to get better from here. For me. He's He's – had some of the most impressive open field tackles. Yeah. Whereas that was the the deficiency in his game as an under, underclassman. He, as we were talking in our preseason preview, I went out there one day in practice and he was wearing the golden common jersey, which means you don't have a number on there, so you're trying to figure out who it is. I thought initially he might be Cheeto Beowuze, so that just kind of shows you how his body's filled up and he's really uh, become more physical. And like you said, uh, he's got ball skills all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean it's going to be exciting. I think next year to watch. Crawley and Awuzie man the cornerback position. You have Jared Bell and Tedrick Thompson man in the safeties. I think that's going to be an athletic group that's going to make some plays. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, Akella Witherspoon, you were talking about the fact that John Walker didn't play much against Oregon State. Uh, McIntyre says now that Akella Witherspoon is healthy, um, when they go to the nickel package, I think we're going to see Akello at corner and Greg Henderson at nickel back instead of John Walker in that role because of, he's, as McIntyre said, a lot of the taller receivers are going to be facing. Um, so, Akella Witherspoon is another guy in that group that if he can get some experience this year, Jared Bell comes back healthy next year, you've got a lot of depth even though you lose Greg Henderson in in the secondary. Moving along uh, to negative on the defensive side of the ball, what surprised you from that standpoint, Tyler? Uh, I mean, you have to talk about the linebackers, right? I mean, That's what I got on my sheet. Uh, Addison... Listen, for as good as he was last year, he has been struggling so far this year. I mean, you can you can tell that he's hurt, but to me, I mean, if you're on the field, you have to make you have to make plays. I mean, especially with a guy like Brady Day who's come in for him in several different games and made and made plays. So, and Kenneth Alboudi, I, I really want him to be good. Coach McIntyre obviously want him to be good, yeah. but he is making a lot of mistakes out there, man. And he's making it tough on the defense. I mean, it seems like there are plenty of times this year where I've seen everybody covered and then Kenneth Mann's open. And they get a first down on third down and five play. It's happened three or four times a game, it seems like. You just got to find a way to make more plays because right now he's killing the defense overall. The one play that stands out when you talk about the linebackers and their struggle is the 92-yard run by yeah. Lasco in the Cal game where you have both Addison Gillum and Olobode just completely miss on their tackle on that play, uh, a play that should be basically have gone for minimal gain, if not lost yardage. 
Um, yeah, and then Woodson Greer's been out there some, and, and he hasn't recorded any tackles for a loss or been part of any big play, so just as a group. Yeah. Now, Addison Gillum set the bar so high for himself that I think uh, – let's say he, he had struggled like at Kenneth Olabody last year as a true freshman. We wouldn't have – I don't think be as hard on his play this season. Oh, yeah, because sure. Because yeah, the expectations would have, would have been different. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%, but, I mean, we know that he's capable of that now. Yeah. So the expectation definitely has to be higher for me. We're going to talk more about some of this as we get into our position grades, uh, but just moving along, let's let's talk about special teams. Most surprising, positive and negative. Positive, <laughs> Darrell, yeah, Darrell O'Neill. I mean, there's no question. You knew about he it. was going to be good though, and I mean, he did, he did have a couple of rough punts at Cal that helped them get back in the game too. So I mean, it's he's not surprising positive for me. I mean, we, I think we all expected him to be good. So besides that, I didn't really have a great answer. I said Evan White. Um, he's made a couple big plays on punt return coverage, um, and I think he's going to be really, really good in that role in the future. I mean, I think Darrow, we expected big things. Well, yeah, I mean, we kind of did, but he he wasn't as good last year as a junior than he was his yeah, first year true. as a sophomore. Um, you look at he's ranking ninth nationally in second in the Pac-12 with a 46.1 yards per punt average, and he's got 16 punts inside the 20. That's just six shy of what he had for the entire season last year. So uh, if he goes on his current pace, he's going to shatter in terms of the, the number of punts inside the 20 this year as compared to last year. His punt average is nearly six yards better this season, mm-hmm. so that's vast improvement from last year. Um, and then, of course, his 19-yard uh, fake run there against yeah, yeah. Hawaii it needs to be talked about as well. Uh, yeah, not, not many punters look as athletic as him on, on those type of plays. Um, th- without question, I think uh, you, you talk about all-conference candidates. He's probably number one on the list. Yeah. And I know Utah's punter is pretty darn good, too. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be in, in consideration. There's no doubt about that. He's one of the best in the country. As far as negatives with special teams, this I I know we have the same answer for this, and that's kickoff coverage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, to me, it's mostly everything. Um, yeah, the kickoff coverage hasn't been great. Uh I have later in the grades, I'll talk about more specifically about the kickoff coverage. Um, I mean, I don't know how you don't include Will Oliver, though. I mean, he used to be automatic yeah. inside 40, and you knew what you were getting from outside 40. He was a little bit inconsistent. He doesn't have a super huge leg. But he's one from three, 30, 39 yards this year. That's not going to get yeah. done any level of football. So, I don't know. He's going to have to figure it out. I mean, that, it's talking about, you know, all these people who made plays that allowed Cal to get back in the game. I mean, over three on field goals. The game doesn't go to overtime without that. And it's, I mean, it's, it's one thing if they're 40-plus yards, but most of those babies are chippies. Yeah. yeah. Got to hit them. Just going back to kickoff coverage, the Buffs uh, rank last in the conference in, in uh, kickoff average, and it really almost cost them a football game at UMass. When you give UMass a ball basically at midfield every time, that sets your uh, defense up for failure there. So let's move along. Let's give some, uh, some grades here. Uh, Let's go position by position, and then you know let's let's start out with the quarterback position. Uh, you talked a little bit about Sefo already, Tyler. If you were going to have to put a, a grade on his performance, because I, I mean Gurky didn't play enough to really factor into this grade. I don't yeah. think. What what grade would you give? I, I gave him a B plus. I mean, it's it's really hard to argue with the results. You know, I mean we're sitting at two and four, but fifth in the nation in passing yards, and Nelson Spruce is the most productive receiver in the country. And there's two sides to that coin. So. Um, he's definitely missed a lot of plays, but especially compared to my my expectations for him this season, he's drastically exceeded them. Okay. So for me, I wanted to give him a B plus because he's been a lot better than I expected. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in the B range, but I'm actually going B minus on this. And um, you look at uh, his stat line, and it's great. You talked about uh, where he ranks, and he's 19 to seven touchdown to interception ratio is pretty darn solid. You're going to take that. I feel like Nelson Spruce has made some plays that have aided sure. Sefo Lufau's stat line quite a bit. And so that that factors into my grade being a little bit lower than yours. And then you actually look, Colorado ranks number 10 ahead of just two other teams in terms of passing efficiency. So they can get a little bit better in, in that, that aspect. He's missed, he's missed quite a few throws. Not so much. I mean, well, against Cal, Cal, he was absolutely stellar. Uh, aside from one throw that was almost borderline a perfect performance. Um but he's missed quite a few other passes uh, this season. Uh, still is improving with that consistency and that accuracy. Um, 
on the positive end, he's definitely been more mobile this year. He's certainly not going to yeah. be confused for a dual-threat quarterback. But you look at it, last year in eight games, he only rushed for 43 yards. This year, through six games, 130 yards. Now, sack lost sack yardage is factored into both of those totals, so it's a little bit misleading. But he's actually made a few plays on the, on the ground, particularly in that Cal game. Yeah, I mean, I, think, I was always a little surprised by the – I mean, he's clearly not fast, but you could always tell. I mean, he was capable of getting five or six yards in the zone read. I mean, he's a little, he's more mobile than some of the guys out there. I mean, he's he's not going to burn you um, for a hundred yards or anything like that, but he's definitely capable of at least making you guard that when you look at his zone read. I mean, they're not just going to crash on the running back every single time because he can pull it out and gain valuable yards. Moving on to running back, uh, I gave this group a C, and I was kind of debating maybe even a little bit lower than that, but. I mean, their yards per rushing attempt average that you mentioned earlier at 4.2 is actually ranks uh, ranks a respectable sixth in the conference. I mean, this is this is a group that maybe even gets into the B category if they're more had been more successful in those short yard situations. Yeah, I mean, I had them at a C minus, so uh, we're kind of in the same ballpark there. Um, for me. Uh, we just don't have a game breaker, and we haven't had anybody that we can rely on in specific situations to make a play, which makes it tough to figure out who you're going to have in the game. I mean, it seems like we've tried every single running back at this point in short yardage situations, and none of them have consistently worked out. Um, I would have, I, I meant to look up um, what the yards per carry average would be without um, the seven wide receiver runs we've had that have all had pretty significant gains. So sure. I would have I been interested to see how that impacted the overall yards per carry. Um, but I mean, but, I think, but I also think, the, the the lost sack yardage goes into that as well. Yeah, we've only had eight though, so I yeah. mean, it's not. Yeah, I mean, to me, I don't know. I I would have. I want to see now that Atkins appears to at least be getting back to himself. Christian Powell missed last week. We can get Christian Powell back in there and maybe have those two ready to go for a game. I'd like to see how he look. Yeah, we'll see if uh, Michael Atkins have breaking off that touchdown run, having uh, multiple successful runs against Oregon State, can kind of get his confidence going. Um, Clayton Adams did mention that he felt like that fumble against Arizona State, which was super, super costly late in the second quarter, uh, might have shaken his confidence for a minute. Uh, he, uh, he obviously, uh, again, bounced back against Oregon State. Christian Powell is what he is. He's a solid bruising guy, but he's more of a change of pace guy. He's not going to be your feature guy. Yeah. Even though he's been leading Colorado in rushing yards the last few years, he's still just not that feature back quality. Philip Lindsay's been about what I expected in terms of a lot of energy and just at times maybe a little bit overzealous. Yeah. And he's got to kind of harness that a little bit. Yeah. He's missing a few holes for sure. But, I mean, he runs hard. It seems like even when he gets plugged in the hole, he, he, run, he falls forward almost yeah. every time it seems like. It's definitely not for lack of effort, but yeah. the, the big surprise has been been Tony Jones. He's averaging 5.1 yards per carry through the first half of the season. He only averaged 3.4 yards per carry last year. This is the Tony Jones. I remember when Rodney Stewart graduated and practices were closed, the spring ball where Tony Jones was uh, set to emerge as their feature back. And Ray Polk once told me, he goes, we're not going to miss a beat with Tony Jones replacing Rodney Stewart because – He's more decisive, and he gets to that second level. He's got that burst, whereas Roddy was more of the shifty type. We hadn't seen that until what, what Ray Polk was talking about until this season. Yeah, I mean, he's been impressive, really. I mean, he's running a lot harder. You can see, especially on the edge, you know, he used to, he used to just kind of step out of bounds. He's been lowering his shoulder down on a couple guys. He's been impressive so far. I wish they would give him more consistent touches and see if he can maybe get into a rhythm. At wide receiver, I this is the only group. Let me double check. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, this is the only group that I actually gave an A to. Yeah. Um, you talked about the depth uh, there and the fact that they've got five different receivers that have more than 15 catches. Last year for the entire season, you only had three receivers that had at least 15 catches. Um, Nelson Spruce and Shea Fields have combined for 95 receptions through five games. Um, and Spruce already has as many touchdown catches as Paul Richardson did last year. He's averaging 10 more receiving yards per game, he, and he's on pace. And I don't expect Nelson Spruce to ha- have the same pace in the second half yeah. as he did in the first half. That would be pretty unrealistic. But if he were to, he'd have 50, 41 more catches than P. Rich had in 2013. Yeah, I mean, he's not going to have – he might have 41 more catches, but I think the yards are going to start to come down a little bit. People are going to make sure they don't get beat over the top by Nelson. Um, I, I don't really know how you could ask for more from this position right now. I mean, did anybody in the world think Nelson Spruce would be a top 25 wide receiver this year, let alone number one? 
No, in, in this, the drop, there haven't been that many drops, and in, in even like yeah. some really good catches that have been made on sure. some balls by Seppo yeah, that I mean, weren't perfectly played. Yeah, I think Bryce Bobo has definitely had a couple huge plays on third down. Um, he hasn't quite got the ball as much as I expected, but he's done a nice job when he's gotten the gotten the touches. I think Shea probably should even get the ball more. Seems like he's really effective on those out routes. Um, he's kind of disappeared in a couple halves in games so far this year, but you can tell. I mean, he's a very talented player. He's going to be a stud for us in the future. And we got a couple guys that aren't even playing right now that I think people are going to be excited about in a couple years. The wide receiver group is legit. I mean, that's the one position on the team I think you could say they're ready for the big time. Now, we saw Oregon State put a safety over the top of Nelson Spruce. They weren't going to get beat by him deep. I, th- I think you're going to see even more the ball spread around even more. Mm-hmm. We kind of saw that last year with Peerich. He had such a monster first half. Opposing teams paid so much attention to him, and that's kind of when Nelson Spruce came on. Yep. So I think this is what the time you're going to see Shea Fields, Bryce Bobo. You're going to see Tyler McCulloch open even more than they've been early in the season. Yeah, I think teams are going to regret that. I mean, I think I think we have more weapons now. Like there, You can't double-team Nelson on every play and get away with it now. I mean, there's going to be somebody that will make you hurt, I think, on more plays than that. At tight end, I gave that group a C. Uh, we we kind of knew this group wasn't going to be that spectacular, but Kyle Slavin's made a few solid catches in recent weeks. Uh, Sean Irwin has four catches. And I'm, I'm putting George Frazier into this group because he's kind of plays that hybrid role on offense, and he's had three touchdowns in the last two games. So we then maybe I'm grading on a curve here. It's just kind of an average group with George Frazier kind of emerging and me including him in there, I think that's what puts it in the C category. Yeah, man. If I could have included George Frazier, I would have given him an A. We all know how much <laughs> I love George Frazier, man. I've been getting after Will for giving me crap about saying George Frazier was going to be an impact guy every game that I can remember. So, yeah, to me, I, ha- I did not uh, factor him into this group, and I had them as a D. Uh, okay. They're, they're really just – they're there. I mean, they're not making any plays. Well, Slavin's had a couple catches. Yeah, yeah well, okay. That's fine. He's had a couple. He's like ninth on the team in receptions. <laughs> All right, whatever. He's yeah. I mean, they're just. I don't know. You, those are kind of the guys. A lot of the time that really make an impact in the running game too. And we haven't done anything yeah. with the two tight end sets. I, I just. I wasn't expecting anything from them, and I'm not getting anything from them. So. Okay. Well, uh, you've heard the the fans scream spruce when he catches the ball. Now maybe they get some choo choo train noises when when George Frazier yeah, gets the awesome. ball going forward. Moving along to the offensive line, I'm actually going to give this group a B-, minus, maybe grading on the curve again, but I actually really expected the offensive line to struggle this year. I thought that was going to be their weakest link uh, on the team, and by and large, they've been pretty solid. Uh, uh, the lights finally turned on for Stefan Nembot at right tackle. Alex Kelly's had some snap issues at center. That maybe drops it down to a B-. minus. Um, Jeremy Irwin's a brand-new left tackle. He's had some penalties. But by and large, he hasn't just had those moments where you're like, wow, he shouldn't be out there. So that's promising for the future. Uh, and, and you mentioned earlier they've only given up eight sacks. That's actually ranks first in the Pac-12 in terms of fewest amount of sacks given up. Um, they have been penalized 15 times, though. That number is a little bit high. That's a group that's usually going to get penalized quite a bit more than yeah. others. But uh, So that's one area I think this group needs to improve on in the second half. Yeah, I mean, we all know how I rated the offensive linemen. Pre, prior to the season. So I think this is my most surprising grade. I actually um, was have been pleasantly surprised by the offensive line as well, and I match you at a B-. minus. Okay. Um, Stefan Nembot, most games last year, you could you, there was a play where you'd be like, yep, there he goes. Quarterbacks are going to get murdered. Yeah. And, that, and that just hasn't happened that much this year. I mean, I think he's been a lot more consistent overall. Um, Jeremy Irwin, we all had injury concerns with him. He's not. He's been healthy. Obviously, he's had a few penalties here and there, but I thought for the most part, he's been really impressive as well. Uh, Munyer has been exactly what you'd expect. The Rock. I mean, he's the best lineman on the team. Uh, you yeah. just, you've said that a lot prior to the year, and I don't think anybody could argue that now. Um, uh, Krebs, Krebs, just a guy. He, yeah, he's yeah. a senior, but he's stealing, not very physically stealing, stealing my words. Sorry, just sorry. a guy. <laughs> just a, just guy. a guy. You know, I always say that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think what's 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 even helped me out with this grade here is I think in the uh, next year they're going to have a pretty good line too. I mean they they lose the two guards, but I mean I think Callahan yeah. and, and of anybody that can step in, he's by far the most ready. So I think they could have a pretty good line again next year, which I don't know if we were all expecting a couple of years ago. I mean I think maybe it's a little more stock there than we had given it credit for in the past. Um, yeah, and eighth eighth in sacks. You said it's first in the Pac-12. I, I have a stat here that they're thirtieth in the country, and that's way above what you would, yeah. would have expected earlier this year. So, 
Yeah, and uh, just going back to your point about kind of replacing Munyer with Callahan, I think we saw Huckins uh, going to the game when, when Jeremy Irwin got uh, briefly hurt earlier this season. So I think he's probably the front runner to replace uh, Crab at left guard. I don't think there's going to be a huge drop off there, maybe just a little bit in terms of experience. So yeah, that's a yeah. group to be pretty excited about for the future for maybe the first time. Now they've got to keep those guys on campus because we've had this potential with the offensive yeah. line group before, and it just seems like one guy transfers, another guy tears his ACL, and it just never comes together. And this could be a group that a year or two from now, it actually is one of the better units in the Pac-12. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how the, the lines from the previous two classes kind of pan out because we haven't seen a lot of development. From they look those pretty two good in practice yeah. for, for young guys. I, w- I would like to see them, you know, see how they develop. Because if you can get a couple, you know, a few more solid depth pieces that you're comfortable with, that's when you're really taking that step. Moving to the defensive side of the ball, uh, Tyler, I'm going to let you lead off with your grade for the defensive line. Yeah, I mean, I think when Samson Kafabalu, when we figured out he wasn't going to play, the expectations here were not that high. Um, so I have them at a C minus. To me, Josh Tupo has not been very impressive. I, I get that he has Judah Parker next to him and guys that aren't really making a lot of plays in the outside, so he's going to see a lot of double teams. He's just not making a lot of plays in the backfield right now. We're giving a 5.0 yards per carry. I mean, you're going to get housed all day if you if you can give up. You know, we don't even have to get guys into third down situations. Uh, that's 76 in the country. That's not going to get it done. 60th in the country with 13 sacks, and a good portion of those sacks are coming from the linebacker crew right now. Um, I, to me, I didn't, I didn't want to just go all negative. I think Derek McCartney's been really good. Yeah, um, I mean, four sacks. On, so yeah, far. he's on pace for eight, which I, I I got back too many years before I can find somebody who has had eight. So maybe hopefully you have that number. Abraham Wright, I would guess, off the top of my head. I don't head. think he ever got eight. I'll, well, I'll look it up right now once we get after the show, but I don't I don't remember him ever getting eight. That's a big number for us, it seems like. And to me, Jimmy Gilbert, has fi- the coaching staff, has finally given him some credit. He's he's made more and more plays, and I'm happy to see him getting some more snaps. But overall, they just haven't made much impact in the game. I'm going to go C-minus as well. And, uh, yeah, it goes a lot to the fact that I thought Josh Tupo was going to be this dominating force. I mean, the first pick of the spring game player draft, McIntyre talked all offseason about how – He's an all-conference type of guy, and he hasn't played up to that level. Now, he's not going to be the guy that gets 10 sacks. He's going to be that guy. But I want to see more of a push, and I want to see him disrupt, disrupt the, the line of scrimmage more than yeah. he's done this year. And, we, and uh, there's there have been times that he's played pretty solid, but just not consistently up to the standard that we were holding him to. Uh, definitely Derek McCarty has shown a lot of promise in his first year. The problem, though, I see with those young defensive ends, and it's a group that's going to have potential down the road, is – there's a lot of specialists in that group, a speed mm-hmm. guy or, you know, you don't have a lot of well-rounded yeah. defensive ends in that group. Now, they might develop into that. Maybe Derek McCartney will be that. He's got the size to be yeah. both a pass rusher and a run stopper. Jimmy Gilbert, I don't know if he'll ever be that. I think no. he's always going to be a specialist yeah. in terms of that. Uh, on a bright side, I like uh, what Clay Norgard provides uh, in pass, obvious passing situations, a defensive tackle. I've seen a f- quite a few plays, even though he, he's made a sack, but he's even in some others, he's gotten or, you know pressure on the quarterback and has done a good job with that. So that's been a nice addition there. It's good to finally see him find a role on this football team. Um, Justin Solis and Judah Parker in the interior played okay, but just nothing spectacular, not enough big plays out of those guys. So yeah. that's why I've got them at a C-. Um, and given the youth, the defensive end, I, I I wasn't expecting much higher than a C plus, but I was expecting more out of Josh Tupo. Moving along to linebackers, we already talked about them a little bit. Uh, give us your grade, Tyler. It's going to be rough because <laughs> the expectations were high for me. Uh, I mean, right now I have it as a D-. minus. I think that's the lowest I rated any group, and it really is only because of the expectations I had preseason, not only from myself but the coaching staff as well. I mean, you look at the – when we get gashed, the linebackers are the ones making Usually, mistakes yep. right now. And, I mean, they've, they've killed us in a couple games for sure. I mean, to me – it's kind of interesting. The only reason I didn't give it an F is because of Brady Day, because he has come in in situations and actually made an impact and, you know, shored up that line. It, it, as bad as the starters have been playing, you could have expected Brady Day to come in and just basically stand on the field. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It was – I've been – they've been extremely disappointing so far. I, I wish Brady would get a little more time at this point because he's healthy and he's actually putting the boom on some people. And I know he's not great in pass coverage, but – my God, man. we got to do something there. Against the USC, I can see you putting him out there. But, you, you, yeah, I mean, against some of these spread teams, he's not quite suited to play against those teams. 
Uh, I gave the linebackers a D. I think uh, what kept me from going as extreme as you with the D minus is the fact that Addison Gillum's been banged up basically since the beginning of camp with different issues. His elbow, he got the flu. Um, concussions. Two concussions now, and yeah, he just clearly isn't quite physically what he was last year. He still leads the team with 52 tackles, and that puts him on pace for 104 tackles. So statistically, that that's not horrible. But he, as McIntyre says, the progression for him was to get all the tackles he had last year, create turnovers. He hasn't been quite as solid in terms of tackling, and he hasn't created any turnovers yeah, this year. he's missed some big plays. And to me, last year he made a lot more plays in the back of the line of scrimmage than he is right now. He's got yeah. a lot of tackles four or five yards downfield. That's true. That doesn't that's do true. much for me. And Kenneth Olabode, obviously, we, we've talked about his struggles. Uh, his inexperience has just really shown. And there, there have been moments where you go, okay, I see what the staff sees in him in terms of potential with the speed. But, man, he's it looks like he's going to continue to go through some growing pains before. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that, in, that inexperience thing is overused. You look at a guy like Tedrick Thompson, who I'm sure we're going to talk about here in, in this next grouping, but the lights already turn on for him as a true sophomore. Yeah, that's my, that's my concern for him as well. I mean, he's played a lot of football now, and he, he's still making plays that you, you can't, you just can't do. So so I think we highlight Kenneth Olobode as a guy in the yeah. second half that needs to show some improvement, yeah. or you got to start looking at some other guys on the roster. <laughs> I would like to, but I mean, there is no other guys on the roster. That's the problem. I mean, linebacker to me is the biggest concern moving forward, I and mean, we just don't have a lot of pieces. Yeah. Moving on to secondary, I gave this group a B plus. I was toying with the idea of an A minus. The reason I didn't is that they've got only three picks so far, and they're all from Tedrick Thompson. I would have liked to see more because they have had some opportunities to get some more interceptions. Now, one of them, Kenneth Crawley, was taken away, was robbed by the referees. Um, so that's worth mentioning. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, CU ranks fifth in the Pac-12 in pass defense. It's pretty pretty darn solid for this group. And yeah. man, Tedrick Tedrick Thompson, we've already talked about him, but just to me, he might be the defensive MVP of this football team yeah. if he had to give it through six games. Oh, 100%. I mean, to me, I don't think it's that close. I mean, Crawley, I guess, could make a case, too. Uh, Greg Henderson obviously suffers from the fact that we expect him to be a beast. You know, it's like it's funny. Every time he gives up yards at all, people are like, oh, he's not any good. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. They didn't give up zero yards in the season. You're like, I don't know. I don't know what you want me to do. Yeah, I mean, he's you know he's just about as solid as it comes. I love Greg. I mean, I think he's one of the more underrated players to come in here for a long time. Um, to me, I would say that John Walker interception, I think that was Hawaii, right? But it got taken away, though. Yeah, that's what I mean. Greg, Greg Henderson holding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was kind of like, okay, I guess you could call that the ball's nine feet away. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of what we called to me, too. But, yeah, they're just 95th in the country in interceptions. Um, so I have them as a B-, minus actually. Uh, it's – I wanted to put it higher because it's not really on them. I mean, they're guarding people for a long time, and they've been much better than I was expecting. Um they just need to make more plays. I mean, we got to make more plays on defense in order to, you know, we're playing – this point forward, we're not playing a team that's even close to us talent-wise. In order to beat them, we're going to have to make some big plays. we got to mention Chido Beowuze, a guy that yeah. is expected to play nickelback and then uh, a week before the season gets moved to a different position, is playing safety for the first time. And actually, as great as Tedrick Thompson's play, he's actually said he's leaned a lot on – Chidobe Awuze in the secondary yeah. from a mental side, so it's been really impressive, and he's as sure a tackler as they have on defense. Yeah, I, mean, I think we didn't really talk. People aren't talking much about Greg and Cheeto, which is what you want from your secondary players because they aren't making that many plays because no one is throwing the ball because they're studs. I mean, I think Cheeto is a beast. I mean, you can't argue about the way that he's played at all. Moving on to special teams, what what kind of grade grade would you give this group as uh, as a whole? I give him a D. Um, and similar to a previous group where I saved someone from an F because of Brady, I'm saving them from an F because of Dara. Um, uh, we're not making field goals. Coverage units have been terrible. Punt return defense 66 nationally. Kick return defense 89th nationally. Um, to me, what's even what the craziest thing about this though is that they're you know what we are in net punting with that terrible punt return 66. You know what we are in net punting nationally 10th. How, like how good has Dara been? To be that to be that high up above on net punting when we're giving up that many yards on part and turn defense. Yeah. So Dara's been a stud, man. I mean, it's hard to give somebody an F when you have Dara who's been that good. Uh, but the, but everybody else, it's not looking good. 
Yeah, I, I actually give him a little bit better grade. I give him a C minus because I do put a lot of stock into Darrow O'Neill. But then also Philip Lindsay, he's been pretty solid in the kick return role. Uh, he ranks third in the conference in kick return average. A couple times he's gotten uh, the ball out to midfield on, on a couple of those returns. I feel like he, he's going to break one pretty soon now. We did see him put one on the ground, and it was recovered by CU. And it's funny because I don't know if I was talking with you, Tyler, about this, but I was talking to a few people before the season. I said, at some point, Philip is going to fumble the ball because he is too relentless at times. And so that that's maybe an issue with him going forward. But in terms of special teams, you could make a, a case. It costs CU a win in Berkeley with uh, Will Oliver missing three field goals, and it ne- almost cost them, as I mentioned, the game at UMass earlier in the season. Yeah. That's that's I mean, two hard. out of six where your special yeah, teams are so playing too to big me, of a role. It's hard to give, you know, too high of a grade based on that alone. Yeah, moving along, let's talk about our expectations for the second half of the season, and let's start out from a, a personnel standpoint. Tyler, which players do you feel like you kind of expect them to take their game to another level in the okay. second half of the yeah, season? So not just as strong second half. We're talking improve improving their game here. It, it could be either, but just who who's most primed for a strong second yeah, half? Yeah, I mean. It's got to be Addison, right? I mean, if you can get him healthy, we're on a bye week here. There's, there's just got to be improvement in his game. He's, he, we've seen how talented he is last year. You just have to expect that um, there's going to be some, you know, he's going to click. He's going to get a little bit healthier and hopefully make some more plays for us in the second half. I think Tedrick, too, who's still got a lot of learning to do, is he's going to continue to make more plays. And to me, I, we talked a little bit about this, that people are going to start keying on Nelson Spruce a little bit more. I think Bryce Sheafield's. Tyler McCulloch, those kind of guys, you're going to see see more more production out of them going forward as well. And Nelson will kind of come back to earth a little bit. I have three guys on my list. I'm going to start out with Michael Atkins, the guy that seemingly turned the corner, broke through against Oregon State. It was a guy we expected to be a feature back and and just wasn't uh, due to a a sprained ankle, some shattered confidence early in the season. But uh, I, I expect him to be much better. Tim Coleman is a guy. He... Basically, he hadn't played football in two years. He's gotten half a season of experience. I talked to him after practice today, and I said, can you finally stop thinking about being healthy? Because it's got to feel great after two years of being sidelined, the ruptured Achilles, a torn ACL, to actually be out there. And he's finally not thinking about it anymore. And you saw, as disappointing as that 92-yard run by Lasko was, who was the guy Dude, running after him? Yeah, and, Tim and, Coleman. Staying, and staying with him, too. I yeah. mean, to me, you talk about a guy who maybe has the potential to um... – to fit, to fill that role of not just being a specialist, Tim Coleman is that guy for me. I, th- yeah. I think he could put on some weight. You can see he has great natural speed. Uh, maybe be a pass rusher and also be really solid stopping the run as well. I think Tim Coleman has a chance to be a pretty good player for CU. The other guy on my list is Akella Witherspoon, who Mike McIntyre said got a little bit banged up before the season opener. We saw him briefly against UMass. He gives up a touchdown on, the, I believe, the only uh, possession defense possession he was out there for. And then we don't see him again uh, really in a lengthy uh Role until he goes out against Oregon State and twice he plays pretty good pass defense against a, a ball thrown in the end zone. Um, I think to expect him to be a lockdown corner given his inexperience is going to be uh, th- that's not a fair expectation. But I think he's a guy that's going to be out there a lot and I think is with that experience uh, is it's gonna, really going to serve them well going into next year to have another cornerback with uh, quite a bit of seasoning um, at that position. Now. As we get ready to the second half of the season, we're going to get into the schedule because it's it's not easy looking forward. At this point, you're two and four. Unless you're in the Dow Ward Center right now, you don't give them any chance to go to a bowl game. What what can this team do in the second half of this football season for you to say this was a successful second half to the season? Yeah, I mean a successful second half of the season would be to win a game for me. Just one. Yeah, I think so because that's. We'll be talking about all this progress and all this progress, and it's, I, I really want to like buy into it. But to me, you don't co- overcome a losing culture by losing games. I don't care if you lose by two. I don't care if you lose by 40. To get over that hump, you really need to find a way to win a game. And to looking at the schedule, I don't think it's really reasonable to say we have to win two of these games because all six of these teams are better than we are. So... To me, if you can find a way to get one, I mean, you you also can't say, I don't care if we lose every game by one point. If we go 0-9 in Pac-12 play, that's not improving. Correct. It can't be. No matter, it doesn't matter. So to me, you have to get one to at least say you can beat a team in this conference. And if you get one, maybe you find a way to sneak in another one. But to me, if you get one, 
You're not looking at double digits in your last column at the end of the year. You're not looking at an offer in conference play. And you finally found a way to beat a team you shouldn't, quotation marks, <laughs> in the season. Well, I, I agree with you. Is it reasonable to – is it realistic to expect this football team to win two more football games? We can debate that. But for me, I'm going to say two wins constitutes a successful second half of the season. When you look at it, even in the broader picture in terms of what that means, that means you win four games this football season. Mm -hmm. You won four a season ago. There's some idiots out there like columnist Mark Kisla that are going to look at only the win total and go, well, Colorado's taking a step back, and they're not going to notice the progress because they weren't watching closely. If we win three, you mean? Correct. Correct. That's why I'm saying two wins is what they really somehow need to find a way to do. Now, I'm not saying... I'm predicting that to happen. Okay. But you all, but also to my point, you look at the Pac-12. It is a very, very good conference. But there are upsets every week within the conference. Yeah, for sure. Every aside from maybe at Oregon, you can make a case for everything falling in, in the right way for Colorado in the game and for them to have a chance against everybody. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying there's no chance that they're going to win any of these games. I just think, based on how things have gone, I mean, do you think we should be two and four right now? No. Yeah. Four and two yeah. is what they should well, be. Well, at now. least three and three. Yeah. Worst case scenario, and we're not. So to me, if we find a way to win one of these games, that shows improvement over what we've done in the first half of the season to begin with. And I'm not about to, you know, base how good my season is on Mark Kisla. So <laughs> I'm just saying that you want to be able to shut those people up as yeah, a program. But is it really going to? If we win four, is Mark Kisla going to shut up? No, he's Probably not going to shut. He's go twelve and zero, and Mark Kisler is still going to be running his mouth because he's Mark. That's Kisler. true. That's true. So, well, I, but even not just local columnists, but I think from a national perspective, people that don't put CU under a microscope are going to look at just the win total, and that's going to base their perception. I've on honestly that. been really pleasantly surprised by the perception of us right now. There are a lot of people out there that are like, "Wow, they're so much better." Even though we're two and four, and to me, like I almost feel like I'm being negative because I'm like, God, we really need to win one of these games. Everybody else seems really content with just like, wow, they're much improved, and I think they are. But I just don't know what it means yet. I don't know if being improved and not winning any games means anything. I want it to. The big, big, big picture wise, it does, Tyler. But only if you win eventually. Eventually, yeah. That's the yeah, point. Yeah. I need that win. That's the point. Yeah. I need the win in order to be like, okay, that's the progress sure. that we're making. Sure. Yeah. So how many more games do the Buffs win this season, Tyler? You, you said what you what, what needs to happen for it to be successful. Do they get that win for you? Yeah, I, th- I think they will find a way to get one. Hopefully, um, I'm not going to be. I, I would I would like to be real pissed off if we don't, but I don't I don't think. I am going to be because the Pac-12 is a really good league this year. You're gonna have to look at that two and ten season. I know, and and that's gonna be. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a lot of ammunition for the ooh close games. Does it really matter? So I'm I really am conflicted right now because I mean I think there's no doubt we're better. I think you look at what we have coming back next year, and there's a lot of reason for optimism. I just don't know if it's all gonna come together this season. We'll see. And if they get a win to me, I'll be pretty pretty happy. I wanted to be the, the, the positive guy in this show. And so on my piece of paper under this category, I have two written down. But I, I just now that I have to go on the record with it, yeah. I can't do it. I'll say they get one more win this year. I just can't. I just – and we're going to rank the schedule in terms of difficulty as far as their remaining opponents. And I just – I can't find two wins on there. Yeah. I, I – there, I mean, there are zero if you look at ELO ratings and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, we had Oregon State was the last game we had above a thirty percent chance to win all year, so we're going to be heavy underdogs the rest of the way. But I mean, if Embry can find a way to win a game in Pac-12 play, anybody can. So I'm going to rank my uh, the schedule in terms of difficulty from hardest to most winnable game here. And, and Tyler, you tell me if you disagree with this. Okay. Number one uh, was a no-brainer for me at Oregon. Yeah. I don't care what happened against Arizona. That uh, game in Autzen Stadium is is as tough as you could schedule. Yeah. At USC is number two for me, especially with it being a road game. Um, and then number three, UCLA and Boulder. Number four is at Arizona. Number five is Washington and Boulder. And number six, I have Utah and Boulder. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think I would switch the UCLA game only because USC has obviously beaten us in the past, but we've had more luck with them, even really bad teams, than we had a lot of the other guys. And UCLA now, I mean, we'll see what happens this weekend. They play Oregon. 
So it's possible that their season will be over and maybe they'll collapse. But if they win, they're still in a position to maybe get into that playoffs, and they're going to be rolling people if they can. So to me, I think I think USC. Get it, we have a better chance with USC than we do against UCLA. That'd be the only two I would switch. Now Washington and Boulder and Utah and Boulder. I kind of thought about that for a second in terms of what's actually d- difficult. Now uh, Utah losing to Washington State is kind of what broke the tie there for me. It, losing to them at home. Yeah, I mean I think they're capable of losing to anybody. There's no doubt about that. They're pretty good at home. Obviously, we saw them beat UCLA. Um, to me, I want to find out in these couple more games: Is Oregon State better than Washington? Are they better than Utah? And if the answer is yes, I'll feel a little more confident about us finding a way to win one of those two games. Washington's a game that's uh, the CUO line's really going to be challenged because Washington has one of the better yeah. front sevens in college football. Uh, they're going to really need to bring their A game that day if they're going to have any chance. At Arizona, shoot, everybody is jumping on the Wildcats bandwagon yeah, right now, but that's crazy. that that's not as good a football team as people think. Dude, some of the rankings nationally right now are hilarious. Isn't Arizona was, 10? Yeah. They were unranked last week. It's like, okay, yeah, they won a couple of silent. I mean, they literally, they beat Cal. I don't even know. I don't know. A couple of these Hail Marys in the past two weeks, man. Like, that dude on USC, does he still have a scholarship? He's standing he's standing there like he's fair I catching think he, a punt. Isn't he, isn't he like a, an all-conference guy? I don't care. You're, you're literally fair <laughs> no, catching a punt. No. I made a comment on Twitter that he he had basically acted like a spectator on that play as opposed to a participant. It was incredible. I, I took like two days before I was like, so can I text you yet to my brother? I was like, <laughs> are we going to freak out or what's going on? In terms of uh, Pac-12 teams and most surprising, you've got to put Arizona on that list only yeah. because they're 5-0, and and you've got to put Cal on that list because at this young stage of the conference season, they actually are first in, in the north now. And should be undefeated. Well... Should be then you're taking into consideration that uh, Colorado possibly okay. should mean, be a yeah, okay. and Washington State has a 19 yard well, field goal to win the game and they miss it. So no, I don't agree with you that they should fine. be undefeated. Could, yeah, that's probably fair. They could be. They are averaging 50 points a game. Yeah, they're they giving can up. Score. They're giving up 40 a game. Yeah, they can score. There's no doubt they can score. I mean, you watching a lot of the games so far this year, they had the most impressive offense to me. I know they're winning games, but. I, Long term, I, I don't like that Sonny Dykes model because it's oh it's yeah no. fra- fast I think break basketball on a football field yeah I mean I think you're looking at like a guy like since you brought up basketball a guy like Mike D'Antoni with the Suns he's gonna put up a lot of points but you get down in the crunch time they don't win a lot of games you know my like they they're a, that that type of I mean I guess system is the right way to put it there was like an eight and four ceiling to me. Most disappointing USC. I mean, you talk about that Hail Mary. Uh, you talk about the fact that they go out to Boston College, lay an egg. This is a USC team uh, that should probably either be undefeated or have only one loss at this point. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of teams you could choose from. I mean, Arizona State, you could say is the same, same thing. Although we kind of expected that preseason. Um, I mean, they, they I, I give him a little bit of a break because of the Taylor Kelly injury. They're yeah, that's, the same pro- football that's, team probably, with him. that's probably fair to say. I mean, USC is probably the the answer. I mean, I think Oregon also, like we said, we weren't expecting them to be the number two team in the country. We always did the preseason show. And they're proving to not be. Um, so I'm not overly surprised by that. Um, I, I would say the top, the whole top half of the Pac-12 has disappointed me, and the whole bottom half of the Pac-12 has impressed me. So I, we're very deeply, but we're not as top-heavy as I think we thought we were. No one wants to carry the baton for the Pac-12. Yeah. It's like every time like USC beats Stanford, you go, okay, maybe the USC is the, the cream of the crop, and then they go out and lose well, Boston College. I mean, and then it, every week it's that, that top team. Even yeah. last week, UCLA gets handed the baton at the end of the day, and then they drop it against yeah. Utah. No, for sure. I mean, I think you look at – USC is already out of the playoff picture. Stanford is already out of the playoff picture. Oregon and UCLA both have one loss, and they play this weekend. Whoever loses, out of the playoff picture. Yeah. Like, we're running out of teams in a hurry. And you were really, are we going to root for Arizona? To, no, that's not going to happen, right? There's no, no way. Yeah. Moving along, uh, my Pac-12 power rankings through six games. Uh, in Tyler, you you chime in and, and tell me where you disagree. I've, got, I've still got Oregon number one. I've got UCLA number two. I've got Arizona State three, Stanford four, and I was kind of contemplating whether I'd have them ahead of Arizona State, but Stanford's got two losses. USC five, Arizona six, Washington seven, Utah eight, Oregon State nine, Cal ten. Even I just I'm not buying into them. 
Um, 11, Washington State, and 12, Colorado. It would be hard to put Arizona 6. You'd put them higher? Yeah, I think so. Over who? I mean, quite a few teams. Read it out to me again. This is it right here. Okay. Oregon, UCLA, Arizona State, Stanford, yeah. USC. Now, USC plays so, at Arizona this week, and yeah. USC is a two-and-a-half-point favorite, so we'll yeah. see how that shakes out. Yeah. Uh, so I would have Stanford higher, probably two. Okay. Um, yeah, Oregon won Stanford, two. Even ahead of one loss, UCLA and Arizona State? Yeah, I think so. Because You know, Stanford did outplay USC in that football game. And, they had no... and, and Notre Dame, they gave away the game in the last seconds, too. I mean, they, yeah. they're... I think though I think they're better than those two. At least they're playing better right now. So who's going to win um, the Pac-12 North and, and win the South? The South, I still think UCLA will win. It's going to be tough though. I think with Taylor Kelly coming back for Arizona State, uh, they've already played UCLA and USC from the South, so their schedule opens up a little bit. They do have to play, I believe, Stanford still, but they don't have yeah. to play Oregon. So I feel like schedule-wise, in getting Kelly back, that it kind of sets up pretty well for them. I just – I do not trust UCLA at this point. I don't, I don't trust Arizona State's defense. That's my problem. Yeah. I still, I still I would say UCLA, and I would say Stanford. I'm going to go Oregon. I mean, you've already got – I know Stanford only has one conference loss, uh, so if they beat Oregon, they're kind of in the driver's seat. Just, Oregon's offensive line is trash. Yeah. Stanford's going to bowl them over. I, I, I just think they, they have won that game in the past – I think Oregon's kind of reeling right now. I think Stan- you know, Stanford, they're always going to play close games, and I would take Stanford over Oregon in a close game, I think. This discussion, we've, we've kind of just – it makes me feel negatively about the Pac-12 and what we've seen through the first half. Oh, yeah, I agree. And it, we, you talk about – you want you want your conference representative by having a couple of really strong teams, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like you're, we're going to see with the SEC West, they're going to be beating each other, and it's just – you know, it's yeah, they're going to be cannibalizing each other. They're going to be beating itself. each other and staying in the top ten, though. We're going to be beating each other and trying to get into the top 25. And I, I don't – at the beginning of the year, I was mad about that. But watching how this has played out, I can't argue with it. I don't think there's any team in the Pac-12 that I think would beat any of the top five teams in the country regularly. Not right now. No way. Now, as a Colorado fan, you look at the Pac-12 and you look at all these senior quarterbacks that are going to be graduating. Yeah. And you go, gosh, you know, yeah. next year is setting up pretty nice. Now, they, they play at Hawaii, so they're going to have to win seven games next year uh, for that, that bowl eligibility. But you look at their non-conference schedule – it sets up pretty darn good for Colorado next year. Yeah, I'm still not in bowl phase. I mean, I think even next year. Yeah, I think saying. so. I mean, I, we play in a tough league, and you know, we still got to find some ways to win games. I, I think if you go five and eight, six and seven next year, especially assuming we get two or three this year, that'd be a pretty significant improvement. I think that. I mean, even now with the we're more competitive, we're starting to get some recruits that I think you can see are, you know, a little more top-heavy. I mean, I think people are really impressed by Nick Fisher, um, Donald Gordon. I think those are guys that last year we weren't getting. Yeah. So um, I think if you get a couple more wins, that will continue it on, and we'll see what happens. But we definitely have a chance to make a bowl next year. There's no doubt. But if we don't win more than four games next year, there there needs to be alarm sounding somewhere. I mean, that the schedule sets up. The, the, the strength of the conference is going to be down, and we're bringing everybody back. So – Next year has got to be the year. We talked about what would constitute a successful second half of the season. In our opinions, what needs to happen the rest of the way for the Stampede Elite message board to be a pleasant place this coming off season? It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> There's always somebody looking to ruin all the fun. Yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I, think, I think if they got two wins, it would it would kind of be in that mode. It would be. I would be. In, it would depend on how it goes. Yeah, I mean, two wins. I think people would be pretty stoked. Because with them, we're back. Two more two more wins. Two right? more, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two more wins. I think, I think people would be back to – there was a lot of four and eight, five and seven predictions this year, more than in years past, which was kind of surprising to me. And I think if you can get to four and eight after starting off not the way we were expecting to, that would be pretty solid. And that – I mean, you would be beating – let's just assume it's Washington and Utah. I mean, I mean you got to be somewhat reasonable, right? You you would hope you would hope, yeah. Tyler. I mean, two two Pac-12 wins is that's improvement in every stretch of the word. Well, that kind of wraps up our show here. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We kind of broke down where this team is at the midway point of the 2014 season, and before you know it, Tyler, 
men's basketball season is kicking off here in, in mid-November. Practices have already started. I've already been out to four of them. And we're going to get uh, Ryan Konigsberg on here, and we're going to do a roundtable where we really break down the season. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, can't wait, man. We all know I love basketball. Football's holding me over this year, giving me something to watch. I'm proud of them so far, I think, even though they should be better. It's been more bearable, at least, for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely been more bearable. I find myself actually caring a lot more than I have in the past and having some more, more knowledgeable about the team. So it's been fun. I mean, it's nice to actually be somewhat relevant again. But basketball is still the bread and butter for me, and I can't wait to get it going. Well, there's still six more games left for Mike McIntyre and his squad, so we'll be back. We'll have some more football-related Buff Stampede radio shows here before the season ends. Again, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.